Hi, Catherine Free here with God's Love Song Ministries. Thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited about the word that God has for us today. As a matter of fact, we're going to go and we're going to join a live um, online Bible study that I was doing. So I want you to go get your Bible, go get your journal, go get your pen, go get your highlighter, get whatever it is that you need so you can be fully engaged. Be ready to participate in the conversation. Be ready to receive revelation. Be ready to receive impartation in the name of Jesus. But most importantly, bring your expectation and bring the supply of the Holy Spirit that is within you. That's how you'll get the most out of it. Amen? Amen. Let's go join the Bible study, shall we? All right. Thank you, Lord, so much for these that have gathered, and I thank you for those who are on the way. I thank you, Lord, for loving us so much that you would give us a right now, on-time word specific to each of our lives. Thank you for shining the light of your revelation and for leading us down roads that we have not been down before. Awaken each ear, Father. Awaken each ear to hear as a disciple that is being taught according to your word in Isaiah 4. I thank you for the seed of your word that is being sown into um, these, these, these people's lives. And I thank you for the seed that is being watered in their lives, and I thank you for giving the increase. And I speak, Lord, that, the, the, that your word is being received with understanding and that it will not be stolen, it will not be choked out, it will not wither away, but it will take root and it will bring forth 30, 60, and 100-fold in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I'm asking you to anoint each person's hearing. Anoint it so that it matches the anointing of the utterance that comes forth through my mouth, that matches the utterance that you would give today, Lord, so that we will have perfect vision, so that we will get the message behind what you are saying, so that we will understand it, and so that we can walk it out. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. And so, you know, each each Sunday I, I review... Um, a little bit because we're still building a foundation and the building can only be as strong as its foundation and there are things that we'll refer back to and so I want to make sure that we have a solid understanding of them, okay? Okay, alright, so here we go. God has wonderful things in store for us. He has new things that he wants to show us and new places that he wants to take us. But we're going to have to want to go with him. How do we demonstrate that we want to go with him? We let go of our reliance on what we know. We let go of our reliance on what we think. We let go of our reliance on what we feel based on our own experiences. And we develop a total reliance on God. It's not that God wants us to be mindless. It's not that he wants us to be thoughtless and just wants us to be a vegetable. That, that's not what it is. It's that when we rely on our knowledge that we have, then we inoculate ourselves against new knowledge that God is trying to give us. And so what he's doing, he's asking for an opening. He's saying, I need you, the knowledge that you have is good and there's a place for it, but right now I need you to let go of what you know and I need you to rely on me so I can help you to know new things. All right? And so we have our foundational scripture 
And our foundational scripture is Isaiah chapter 42, verse 16. Can somebody read that for us, please? Isaiah chapter 42, verse 16. And I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. Amen. So God is saying, I'm going to lead you down paths that you did not know. I'm going to lead you in unfamiliar places. And he's saying, I'm going to make the darkness light before you. Darkness represents those things that we don't know. So he says, there are things that you don't know, but I'm going to teach you. I'm going to give you revelation, and you will know. But what he's saying, inherent in what he's saying in this, is let me lead you. He's saying that he's going to lead us, but now he's saying, let me lead you. Because um, it's going to require humility. And humility is not something that we can, God give me humility. It's not something we can pray for. Humility is something that we must offer to God. The Bible says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humility, humbling ourselves is a voluntary action. It's a yielding to him that we must do voluntarily because if it comes to him humbling us, that comes in the form of chastisement, that comes in the form of, I mean, he chastises those whom he loves, right? So it's not like he's punishing us and, and leading us, you know, to because we've done bad. It's because he's trying to get us to yield to him so he can give us the good things that he has. It's like a parent who corrects their child. But what God is asking us for is humility. And he's saying, let me lead you. Don't make me have to tug you. Don't make me have to pull you. Does any, let's turn to Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Night I be ye not as the horse or as a mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Yes, yes. So he's saying, I will guide you with my eye. I'm all seeing, I'm all knowing. I can see much farther down the road. And you can, as a matter of fact, I know the end from the beginning. I will guide you. I will counsel you. I will instruct you. But don't you be like the horse that needs the bit and the bridle. You know, um, in the states I reside in Texas, and there's a lot of horseback. Oh, there's horseback riding over here, too. But there's a lot of horseback riding over there. And um, people enjoy riding the horses that are rain-trained, as they call it. Horses that are rain-trained. There are horses that you can have the reins and you don't have to tug and pull real hard. You can just make a slight movement of the rein and they know which direction to go. They're very easy to guide. They're very easy to um, steer along the way. And that's how God wants us to be. If he has to continually, you know, make those harsh movements like the, the horse with the bit and the bridle, he says that we are like those who don't have understanding. So he wants us to understand. He wants us to yield to him. As a matter of fact, 
verse 9 in the Passion Translation. We just read um, Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9. Verse 9 in the Passion Translation, it says, So don't make it difficult. Don't be stubborn when I take you where you've not been before. Don't make me tug and pull you along. Just come with me. And so when we just yield to God, we're demonstrating our humility. We're allowing him to lead us. Amen? Amen. Amen. And what God wants to give us in this year of 2020 is perfect vision. He wants all aspects of our vision working together in perfect coordination so we can see, we can have better than normal vision, but we can have vision where we see everything as it really is. As we're going through situations, you know, we're dealing with a lot of things here in the natural. We're always dealing with a lot of things here in the natural. But with perfect vision, we can see what's going on in the spiritual. And we'll know how to cast down imaginations that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. We'll know how to um, engage in spiritual warfare, knowing that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against principalities and powers. We'll know how to call those things that be not as though they were. When we have perfect vision, we're able to see the way God wants us to see so that we can say what we need to say so that we can walk out the victory that Jesus has already secured for us. Amen? So last week, God gave us a word. And that word was, I am raising up a new leg of my army that will join the ranks of taking dominion over the earth like I commissioned Adam to do. So let's look at what he commissioned Adam to do. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over everything that moveth upon the earth. Amen. So God commissioned Adam and Eve. He commissioned man. I'm going to refer to Adam right now. He said to be fruitful and multiply. He said to replenish the earth and subdue it. That word subdue, it means to bring into subjection. It means you have authority over it. Okay? Have dominion, it means to rule over, to exercise authority over. So when God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, the first words they heard were be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and do it. The first thing they heard was the blessing. This is what he told them to do. This is what he empowered them to do. This was their responsibility in the earth. And God is telling us today that he's raising up another leg of his army, a new leg of his army that's going to join the ranks of taking dominion over the earth, just as he commissioned Adam to do. Just as Adam was to walk in authority, we are to walk in authority. So we see that God gave Adam dominion, but then Adam lost dominion. Actually, he didn't just lose it. He gave it away. Who did he give it to? 
Who did Adam give his dominion to? Who did Adam give his authority to? Uh, he gave it to the devil. He gave it to the devil. God commanded Adam, God commanded Adam, of every tree you may freely eat, but of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. And the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. And so now we've got Eve in the middle of the garden, and there's that tree with that forbidden fruit, and here comes the serpent talking to her. Did God really say you can't eat that? Oh, God said we can't eat it. We can't even touch it. Well, the serpent beguiled her. He deceived her. He says God just knows that the day of you, the day that you eat of that fruit, you're going to be as wise as He is. And so now Eve is eyeing that fruit, and she says, "Hmm. Well, it is good for food, and it's looking really good right about now." And I'm going to be wise. Okay, so she took some and she ate it, and then she offered some to Adam. Adam still had the choice to say no. As a matter of fact, Adam was supposed to step up and say, God told us not to eat of that fruit. Put it down. But he didn't do that. Instead, he ate of the fruit. And in the day that he did that, he and Eve surely died. Their spirits within them that were connected to God, that were one with God, were now separated from God. When we're talking about death, we're not talking about ceasing to exist. We're talking about separation from God. Now that Adam was separated from God, he couldn't hear God and and think God's thoughts and, and, and follow God's actions the way he could when he was alive and connected to him. Now he knows all of this periphery stuff, all of this outside stuff that came with the knowledge of good and evil. So Adam gave his dominion to the devil. That is how the devil became the god of this world. Are you all following me? Yes. Okay. In the day that Adam ate of the fruit, that's when sin entered because he missed the mark. That's what sin means. It means to miss the mark. He missed the mark and now and death entered because he's now separated from God. That is also the same time the curse entered the world. Let's let's look at um Yeah, let's go let's go look at these scriptures. Let's go look at these scriptures. Let's go to Romans chapter five, verse twelve. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All right, so by one man sin entered the world. That one man was Adam. And when sin entered the world, death entered the world. That's what God spoke. In the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. That was the entrance of death when Adam ate that fruit. Okay? Also, what entered the world was the curse. Now, you remember, during the creation, God created all the grass, all the vegetation, all the fruit trees, all everything, and he said, everything shall bear um, fruit after its own kind. 
Adam didn't have to plant anything. God had already planted everything and everything brought forth fruit. Everything was growing from the ground, everything. But now the curse entered. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse, verses 14 through 19. And the Lord God said unto the servant, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Okay, so we, see that, so we see that God cursed the serpent. Um, he said that from now on you're going to, to crawl on your belly. You're going to eat the dust of the ground. You're as low as they get. You're cursed above every other animal. So there we see that the, cur- the serpent is cursed, and he's going to be at odds with mankind. You know, the animals were created to serve man. The animals were created to come under man and, and to work with man. Everything was at peace in the garden. But now there is enmity. Now there is strife. That's why we don't like snakes, the large majority of humans. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we don't like snakes. Wow. There is enmity there. Yeah, that's part of the curse. Part of the curse. Okay, and now verse um, 16. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Mm-hmm. Unto, the, unto the woman he said, unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and, the, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So we see we've got pain in childbirth. That's part of the curse. Okay, next. <laughs> And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and thou shalt not eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also, and pickles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Uh huh. Keep going. In the sweat of in the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, from dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Yes, and so as for the man, he said, "Cursed is the ground for your sake." Now, the ground is cursed, so instead of it just growing the trees and the fruit and all of what it's supposed to grow, it's going to grow thorns, it's going to grow thistles, and now you're going to have to work for your food. Everything was bearing fruit after its own kind, but now you're going to have to work for it. It's going to be by the sweat of your brow. You're going to have to toil. You're going to experience sorrow. This is going to be hard work. All of this because sin entered the world. With sin came death, and with sin came the curse. At this point, Satan had dominion. When we started, Adam had dominion because God had given it to Adam. Those were the first words Adam heard after God 
blew his breath of life into his nostrils. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion. These are the first words he heard. But when he disobeyed God, when he ate of that fruit that God told, that tree that God told him not to eat of, he surrendered his authority to the devil. That's why all this bad stuff is here in the world. Okay? Are we solid on that? Mm -hmm. So now let's fast forward about 4,000 years. We've got Jesus coming on the scene. He's born through a virgin birth, and he walks out God's heavenly vision for him. He lives a sinless life. He uh, is, is baptized by John the Baptist. He is anointed um, to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to set the captives free, to open the blind eyes. He goes about, he's teaching, he's preaching, he's healing. He's, he's, in Acts 10.38 it says, And Jesus, who was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, went about doing good. And healing all that was all that were oppressed of the devil, he did that. Then he went to Calvary's cross. He was crucified for us. He died. He rose again. In all of that, he set things back straight again. In all of that, the dominion that God had given to Satan, Jesus has now taken back. So let's 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 talk about that. A little bit. Um, we're straight with God. With Jesus died on the cross, right? We understand that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And when he, we say that you know, with Jesus' stripes we are healed. He was. Let's turn to that. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter fifty-three, verses three through five. He is the size and of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted, acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God and of his sin. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. We are healed. Yes, glory to God. And so back in verse 3, it says that he was despised and rejected. And I'm going to refer to the Amplified Classic here. It says he was despised and rejected and forsaken by men. He was a man of sorrows and pains and acquainted with grief and sickness. And what did man do? Men hid their faces from him like they were ashamed of him, like he must have done something really wrong. God has smitten him. God is punishing him because he's done something wrong. That's how men treated him. In verse 6, surely he has borne our grief. And that word grief, it refers to our sicknesses, our weaknesses, and our distresses. And he has carried our sorrows and pains of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, 
smitten and afflicted by God. We thought it was something that he has done. Verse 5, and again I'm referring to the Amplified Classic. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needed to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. Everything that Jesus endured during the crucifixion was for us. That's what he accomplished on the cross. And so a lot of times people look at, okay, so, you know, we're going to go to John chapter 3, verse 16. We'll look at it in a moment, but let me just talk about it for right now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. We often use that as a scripture to share with people when we're sharing Jesus with them and we're inviting them to get to invite Jesus into their hearts and we use it as a you get to go to heaven scripture. And if you believe on Jesus, you won't go to hell. That's how we use that. But when we're looking at whosoever believeth on him, what do we need to believe about him? We need to believe that he is God's son. We need to believe that he went to the cross and he died for our sins. Isn't that the cross? Isn't that the prayer that we pray when when we're inviting Jesus into our heart or we're leading someone else? You know, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you died for my sins. Well, yes, he did die for our sins. That means once we receive him in our hearts, every sin that we ever commit, past, present or future, is already forgiven because it has been accomplished on the cross. Does that mean that we can just say, oh, I'm already forgiven. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this. No, 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 no. That's not what that means. You can't continue in sin, um, especially once you are made aware of it. And if you have really invited Jesus into your heart, you're not going to want to continue in sin. But what that means is when I slip and I fall, when I make a mistake, when I sin against God, I don't have to beat myself over the head about it. I don't have to walk around feeling condemned and unworthy. I don't have to be afraid of going to hell. Why? Because Jesus already died for that sin. He already died for it. All it takes now is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we go to him and we confess, which means say the same thing he says, Lord, I did this, and you say this is a sin. I agree with you that this is a sin. And now I'm turning away from that sin, and I'm turning to you. And I'm asking you to bring about the change in my life. I'm asking you to help me to think different. I'm asking you to help me to do different. And, and we have to do our part. We've got to study his word and and. and transform our mind or renew our minds um, through his word. But we have that privilege. We have the privilege of going to him and confessing our sins and receiving our forgiveness and our cleansing because Jesus already secured it on the cross. So for us to walk around as saints and say that we're sinners, then that is to deny what Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, 
He paid the price for our sins. And when we receive him into our hearts, we are no longer sinners. We no longer have a sin nature. We now have a, a, a nature of righteousness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, as a matter of fact, let's look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll look at verse 21. For he has made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Okay? For he hath made, God hath made Jesus. God hath made Jesus to be sin for us. When Jesus was going through all that on the cross, he became sin for us. That's why God turned his back on Jesus. And that's why Jesus says, why hast thou forsaken me? Oh God, thank you Jesus. It says, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus had no relationship with sin. Jesus had never sinned. Jesus had nothing to do with sin. But the awesome sacrifice that he made was he became that very thing that was detestable to God. And in that moment, he experienced that abandonment and rejection by God so that we would never have to. So that when we sinned, all we, we could come boldly to his throne of grace and we could confess our sin and we could receive our forgiveness. We could receive our cleansing and we... Um, what Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to walk around condemned, not for a single moment. We can get out of sin just as quickly as we fell into it. That's what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. We have a freedom to come into God's presence. We have a freedom to, to dwell in God's presence and never leave. We have access to God, open access to God, because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So when we're giving people the scripture, John 3.16, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's not just a you get to go to heaven one day scripture. It's a you get to live in relationship with God here and now, and you even get to experience heaven on earth because you will get to experience God's will for your life, and he only has good things for us. Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We have the overcoming Jesus, the Jesus who has overcome, excuse me. He's not still overcoming. He has overcome. We have the Jesus who has already overcome the world living on the inside of us. So we have a right, glory to God, a blood-bought right, because he shed his blood for us. We have a blood-bought right to everything that God provided for us. That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. We get to obtain salvation. And I'm going to refer to, um, I'm going to read definitions of salvation. I've read it the past few lessons, but let me tell you where it's coming from. I wrote a book. It was published in 2016. It's called Beyond Salvation, The Art of Receiving God's Promises. 
And this is about um, exactly what we're talking about now, how salvation is not just about dying and going to heaven one day, but it's about living the good life that God has for us down here and getting to experience everything that comes with salvation. And here are some of the things, okay? It means, well, when we have salvation, that means that we have been saved. It means to be saved from danger, to be saved from suffering, to be saved from sickness, to be made whole. You know, that idea of shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken. It means to have spiritual and eternal salvation. And it's God's present power right here, right now, to deliver from the bondage of sin. You got a habit you can't break? Oh, no, baby, you got salvation. Glory to God. We get to come and God's going to break us from that bondage of sin. We just need to receive our freedom. It means deliverance from the wrath of God at the end of this age. When we go to Judgment Day, our Judgment Day isn't going to be the same as Sinner's Judgment Day. On, on Sinner's Judgment Day, it's decided whether they go to heaven or hell. And the judgment is that they go to hell if they have not received Jesus. Hmm. Now, when we go to Judgment Day, because we have received Jesus, it's no question of whether we're going to heaven or hell. We are going to heaven. But it is a question of how many, this is how God is going to judge us, going to judge us. How many things did you allow me to do through you that I asked you to let me do through you? When I came to you and I asked you to go to the mission field, did you say, oh, no, Lord, I'm, I'm going to miss my family, or oh, no, Lord, I don't have enough money, or oh, no, you lost some, some jewels there for your crown. Um, did you start this ministry when God asked you to? Or did you go say a kind word to this person that, that he asked you to? Or did you, whatever it is that he asked you, did you do what he asked you to do? Did you allow him to do what he wanted to do through you? That is how we are going to be judged. I know somebody very near, very dear, and they're a wonderful, wonderful Sunday school teacher that's been teaching for years and years and years and years. The only thing is God never asked him to teach um, Sunday school. He also has a prison ministry. God never asked him to start a prison ministry. And he knows it. God asked him to pastor a church. And he said, no, Lord, I'll do this instead. Now, is, is the prison ministry a good thing? Yes, it's a good thing. Is teaching Sunday school a good thing? Yes, it's a good thing. But are they God things? Are they, are they the things that God asked him to do? That's why I believe it's in Matthew chapter 7, around verses 20 and 21. Um, Jesus says, everybody who says, Lord, Lord, why call me Lord, Lord, you're not going to do what I say. Everybody who calls me Lord, Lord, is not going to heaven. But Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out devils in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. It's not about the good works that we do. It's about the God works that we do. Did we do what God asked us to do? Okay, don't know how I got off on that, but let's get back to salvation. Um, salvation includes material and temporal deliverance 
from danger and apprehension. So that means we have deliverance right now from economic calamity, deliverance right now where health issues are concerned, um, deliverance right now where nat natural disasters are concerned, deliverance right now from anything that can rise up. We have that deliverance. It's, we have supernatural help from God. God gives us angelic assistance. God sends us people to come alongside us. God provides supernaturally. We have the Holy Spirit who is the helper living on the inside of us. Salvation includes this help. So salvation, it is, it, it is an inclusive term, and it includes all of the blessings bestowed by God on us by Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit. That's what salvation is. And we get to experience that here on earth. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to experience that. As a matter of fact, when we get to heaven, we won't need to experience these things because that's what it is up there. God designed it so that we could have those things down here. Amen? So that was Jesus on the cross. Now we've got Jesus buried in the grave for three days. His body, anyway. His body is buried in the grave for three days. So let's turn to um, Colossians chapter 2. And we'll look at verse 15. This is what happened when Jesus' body was in the grave. His spirit was not in the grave. His spirit was down in hell with the devil. And this is what happened. Somebody read Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, please. And having been spoiled from the penalties and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphant, triumphing over them in it. Yes. Yes, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. It's like he even gloated. <laughs> when it says, <laughs> openly, it's like he had a parade. And you know who was in that parade? All of the Old Testament people, Abraham, David, Solomon, um, uh, Noah, uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all of them because Jesus had not come yet. So when they died, they couldn't go to heaven. They went to a section of hell called paradise. And so they were there and they saw Jesus. And can you imagine it? When Jesus is whopping up on the devil, they're probably like at a ringside fight. Get him, get him, get him, get him. They're probably just like cheering Jesus on because Jesus, glory to God, is, is, is making a show hallelujah, of the principalities, the principalities, the evil spirits. In the, um, in the Amplified Classic Translation, it says God disarmed the principalities and powers that were ranged against us and made a bold display and public example of them in triumphing over them and in him, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, in triumphing over them in him, meaning in Jesus, and in it, meaning in the cross. In Jesus and in the cross, that's how they stomped on the devil's head. That's how we did it. That's how he did it. And, and in doing that, he disarmed all of the devil's powers against us. The devil has no power over us. 
There's nothing, the devil, as big and bad as he is, he's not as big and bad as our God, if we put it that way. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. There is nothing the enemy can do to us. Hallelujah. Um, while we're on that kick, I love it. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I feel like I'm on a treasure hunt because this is not what I have in my notes for today, but this is where Holy Spirit is telling me to go. So I know. Glory to God. This is up. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Behold, I give thee unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Amen. Amen. Now that word power is used twice, and it means two different things. So I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Classic. Behold, I have given you authority and power. Authority is the go-ahead. The authority means you have the license to do it. You don't even have to ask. I'm giving you the license to do it. You have the authority and the power. The power is the ability. So you have the, the go-ahead and you have the ability to trample on serpents and scorpions. And you have physical and mental strength and ability over all the power that the enemy possesses. And that word power is his ability. So we have authority and more ability than all the ability that the devil has. And nothing shall in any means harm you. Why can Jesus say that? Because on the cross, that's when he spoiled the principalities. That's where God disarmed the, the principalities so that they could not have any power against us. Amen? So let's go to Revelation chapter 1. And we'll look at verse 18 when you get it. This is Jesus talking. He's talking to John on the Isle of Patmos. And he is he's giving John the revelation, which is why the book is called Revelation. He's explaining who he is and what he did. And ooh, that's why we can... We as Christians, we don't have to worry about anything. We can go to the back of the book and we see that we win. Revelation doesn't have to be a scary book to us. It's the book that tells us we win. Glory to God. All right. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. I am living and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. He has the keys, hallelujah, of hell and death. And you know when you have keys, you have authority over that thing. You can lock some things down. You can let some things out. He's got the keys. He shut it down. He shut it down. He shut it down. He has the keys of hell and death. There's nothing the devil can do. Nothing the devil can do. And at the same time, while we're talking about keys, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, Behold, I have given you the keys to the kingdom. We, as those who believe in Jesus Christ, have keys to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, where all the blessings are. The kingdom of God. And he says, Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. We have the keys of the kingdom. We have authority so that while we are down here on earth, we can bind something. We can bind things, not even some things. We can bind things. And while we're here on earth, we can loose things. And guess what? It's done in heaven, and it manifests down here in the earth realm. That's why the prayer is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Well, how is that will going to be done here in earth as it is in heaven? We, God has to do it through us because he's given us the keys. And just like when, when Adam messed up, God didn't take it back and say, you messed up my garden. Here, you can't have it anymore. God did not take it back. Same thing. Now God has given us, through Jesus, he has given us the dominion here. And we have the dominion. So you know what? All of this stuff going on in the earth, yes, it is a part of the curse. The curse is still here in the earth. But we who have received Jesus have been redeemed from the curse. We don't have to be affected by the curse. We have the keys of the kingdom. We can bind up this coronavirus. We can loose healing. We can loose vaccinations. We can loose um, economic prosperity. We can loose things. We have that authority. Glory to God. Now, Lord, where were you taking me with that? Okay. So we, 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 don't have to, we don't have to tolerate it. We have the authority. And you know what? As much as we tolerate, that's how much God will tolerate. Just like God didn't take the garden back from Adam, he's not going to take the keys away from us. Just because we're not using the keys doesn't mean he's going to take the keys away. That's why God gave us the word that he's raising up a new leg of his army that will join the ranks in taking dominion in the earth, just as he commissioned Adam to do. And that leg is us. He, he's, he's, he's giving us, he's shining light. He's giving us revelation and spiritual understanding of the authority that we have in him. And he's showing us how we got it. We got it through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. When Jesus rose again, Okay, we know that he came back to earth, then he ascended into heaven. Well, when he ascended into heaven, where did he end up? Where is he now? Where is Jesus now? Seated on the right hand of God. Seated on the right hand of God. And yeah. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I said in heaven. Seated on the right hand of God. Yes, seated on the right hand of God. And that, you know, at the right hand, that's a place of fire. I'm fire. Ooh, Lord, what's that? That's a place of power, right? At the right hand, that's a place of power. But guess what? Being seated is a position of power. When one is seated, they are in a position of power. They are in a position of authority. So Jesus is sitting in a place of authority. Well, when Jesus died, we who, we who received Jesus as our Savior, we died with him. We were crucified with Christ, right? That's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We were crucified with Christ. Well, when Christ rose again, guess what? We rose again. And when Christ ascended into heaven... 
we ascended into heaven. So guess where we are? Our bodies, we're, we're here down on earth, but guess, guess where else we are? Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse 6. And have raised us up together and made us sit together in heaven's places in Christ Jesus. That's right. God raised us up together with him. So not only is Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, but we are seated in Christ Jesus. Not even beside Christ Jesus. We are seated like inside of him. Think of a, a, a stuffed animal. You put the stuffing inside the bear. We're like in Jesus. <laughs> we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So just like he's seated at the, at the right hand of the Father, we are seated at the right hand of the Father. Just like he is seated in authority, we are seated in authority. Let's turn back one page to um, uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll start at verse 20. And we're going to talk about the, the mighty power of God. What did the mighty power of God do? Let's start in verse 20. Which he wrote in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own life and the heavenly places. So above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Mm-hmm. And I put, put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head of all things to the church. Okay. So the mighty power of God, he, it says he wrought in Christ. That means he, he exemplified his power through Christ when he raised him from the dead. God was showing his mighty power when he raised Jesus from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. And not only is he seated above all things, but God has put all things under his feet. And he's given Jesus to be the head over all things to the church. Well, if we are seated in Christ Jesus, then we also are seated far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. That's why we can say coronavirus. You are a name. Jesus is the name above all names, and we command you to bow your knee right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We have the power to do that. Now, the thing is, I'm talking about all this power, and I'm talking about taking authority, and I'm telling you where we are in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you all of this, but let me tell you how that works for us. It only works if we believe it. And when I say believe it, it doesn't mean, oh, yes, okay, yes, it's in the Bible. The Bible is true. That's good. How can you tell what one believes? There's no right or wrong answer. I'm, I'm asking you, both of you. How can you tell what one believes? Or how can you tell if someone believes something? By the speech and by the actions. Yes. 
I heard the part in your action. Say that first part again. And by their speech and by their actions. By their speech and by their actions. That's right. That's right. So if I believe the Bible when it says, by Jesus' stripes I'm healed, but I'm walking around, oh, my back is killing me. Or I'm walking around, oh, the doctor gave me a diagnosis and I just don't know what I'm going to do. What does that show I believe in? Say it again, please. Not, um, not trying to believe in God. Right. It's, it's not showing that we believe in God. It's show, we might know the Bible. We might even be able to quote the scripture. We might even be able to say it on cue, you know. But I like this saying. It says, what's in the well will come up in the bucket. What you really believe <laughs> is going to come up out of your mouth. <laughs> And what you really believe is going to be demonstrated by your action. You can only fake something for so long. But when it comes down to it and when the pressure is put on, what you really believe, that's what's going to come out. And so we're talking about this authority. We're talking about the power that we have. But it's only going to work for us if we believe it. Now, why do I say this? Because we talked about how God gave Adam dominion in the beginning. Adam surrendered his authority to the devil, so the devil had authority. But then Jesus came back, or Jesus came and died on the cross, rose again, defeated Satan, did all of that, set everything back straight so that now the power and the dominion is back in our hands. And this might... Um, sound good. I know some people, it might take them a little while to like really register this. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So praise God for putting it in their hearing. And it's going to, I believe that they're just going to meditate on it. They're going to think on it. Holy Spirit's going to minister it to them and it will become a truth for them. But we've got this dominion. And if when bad things happen, We credit the devil with having dominion. That shows that we don't really believe in the authority and the power that we have. Now, how do we credit the devil with having dominion, right? You know, no, no Christian is going to say, yes, the devil is in control. The devil has all the power. Nobody's going to say that. But what they do say, this is what it sounds like. When bad things happen, instead of asserting their authority instead of calling those things that be not as though they were, instead of speaking life over the situation or instead of speaking death to what needs to be spoken to, they say, God's in charge. God's in charge. Meaning, okay, these bad things are happening and there's nothing I can do about it. Um, but if God wants it to change, then God's going to do some hocus pocus and it will change. And that is not how God operates. I mean, God is sovereign and he can. But God is only limited by the limits that he puts on himself. And as I explained just a few minutes ago, God has given us dominion. He's given us the keys to the kingdom. He's given us his word to speak. He's given us his Holy Spirit He's given the power to us 
And if we allow these things to go on, then he allows these things to go on. He needs us to partner with him in our authority to bring his will into the earth. And when we sit back and throw up our hands and say, God's in charge, God's in control, that's kind of, that. I'm, oh, Holy Ghost, okay, it's a cop-out. It's a cop-out thing. I can't do anything about it, and I believe God can, but I don't know if God will. But either way, he's in charge. Whatever he wants to do is fine. That is not a person with authority speaking. We have authority, and that is what God wants us to know. And not only does he want us to know, he wants us to use it. But we're not going to if we don't believe it. And there's a difference between believing something and just having a mental assent and just, you know, conceding that it's true. Yes, it's, the Bible says it. Mm-hmm, I believe it. It's true. Yep. There's, there's a difference. There's a difference. As Sister Michelle says, it will come out in your speech and it will come out in your actions. And so, believe it or not, in these last uh, 12 minutes here, this is the part of the lesson that I've been trying to get to <laughs> all morning. <laughs> what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? Um, the dictionary, both the Greek dictionary and um, the Noah Webster 1828 dictionary, they give the definitions of um, being persuaded being firmly persuaded that something is true. To have full persuasion and even to approach certainty that something is true. When you are certain that something is true, it does not matter what anybody says to you. You can look at them just like, I mean, you can look straight through them. That Nothing they say phases you because you know this thing to be true. And let's, I know this is one of uh Sister Lynette's favorite verses. Second Timothy chapter one verse twelve. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against justice. Yes. Paul says, For I know whom I have believed. He says, I suffer all these things, but I'm not ashamed. I don't care. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it feels like. I don't care what I have to go through. I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. I know he's not going to let me down. I, there's nothing you can tell me. There's nothing you can do. You're not going to change my course. You're not going to change. I am, I know in whom I have believed. He, put his, he is fully persuaded. He is firmly persuaded that God takes care of him. Even in the midst of all the bad situations that he's had to go through, he is persuaded that God loves him and that God takes care of him. And he's persuaded. Even, I know whom I have believed. That in and of itself is an expression of his belief. He gives a similar um, a statement in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Let's turn there. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Okay, and so this letter, I believe, came after First Timothy, but we just got finished hearing him say, I know, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed. And now he's writing to the Romans. And he says, um, I am not ashamed. That's what he just said in the other verse, too. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power to everyone who believes, not to everyone who quotes the scripture, not to everyone who goes to church every Sunday, not to everyone who has memorized the scripture, but to everyone who believes, to everyone who is persuaded, to everyone whose actions um, gird up that belief to everyone who's actually followed through with that belief because when we believe that God is taking care of us, when we believe that God can get us out of the situation, when we believe that we're not going to depend on man or the government or anybody else, we're not going to speak words that contradict the word of God, we're not going to behave any kind of way, we're going to stay in alignment with the word of God because we believe it to be true. And it doesn't matter if the serpent came to us today and said, did God really say? We say, yep, he sure did. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me nothing. You can't fool me out of nothing. You, can't, you cannot make me change my mind. No, because I believe. You all following me? Yep. Okay. And so what I'm talking to you about, our authority, what I'm talking to you about, our dominion, it only works if we believe it. Just like water only quenches your thirst if you drink it. God has given us revelation of John 3.16. Um, in, in previous lessons we've talked about, whew, this is hard to put in the last seven minutes. Help me, Holy Ghost. Okay. For God, so, okay, real quick, put your eyes on it. John 3.16, and somebody read that, please. So God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Yes, whosoever believeth on him, who believes who he is, he is the son of God, who believes what he did, and, and what he accomplished when he died on the cross. Who believes what we've been calling the message. God says in 2020 we're going to get the point. We're going to get the message behind his word. We're not just going to hear the scriptures and, and get a basic understanding, but he's going to give us perfect vision. Well, with that, we're going to get the message behind the scripture. The scripture is going to become more than just words on a page, and, and we're going to get deeper knowledge than what we've had before. And that's what he's giving us with John 3.16. It's more than a you get to go to heaven scripture or you don't go to hell scripture. Jesus came to show us who we are. Jesus came to restore dominion. That's what he accomplished through what he did on the cross through his burial and his resurrection. 
Jesus came to reveal the authority that we have in him. A lot of people look at Jesus as a super duper when Jesus walked on the earth and, oh my gosh, Jesus walked on the water. Oh my gosh, Jesus healed and Jesus raised the dead. Jesus did not come to be an example for us to aspire to. Jesus came to be a sample of who we are. How if Adam had never surrendered his authority, we'd be walking that same way. Sin would have never entered the world, really, so we wouldn't have had to deal with the curse and all of that. But the, 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 the authority that Jesus had here on the earth is the same authority that Adam had in the garden. He came to reveal that to us. And he came to reveal that what he did, we can do. Um, let's turn real, real, real fast to John chapter 14, verse 12. Valley, valley, I count you. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, he she do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Verily, 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 I say unto you, he that believeth in me, on me, that's the same, whosoever believeth on him shall not perish. Well, whosoever believeth on him shall do the same works that he did and greater works. This is what Jesus came to reveal to us. Jesus calmed the storm, so guess what? We can too. Jesus healed the sick, so guess what? We can too. Jesus cast out devils. Guess what? We can too. Jesus walked on water. Let me tell y'all something. When I came to the Virgin Islands, I came sight unseen. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything about tsunamis. I didn't know anything about hurricanes. I didn't know anything about anything. And I'm working in the school system one day, and we have a tsunami drill. And during the tsunami, now the week before, we had had a fire drill. And for the fire drill, we had to walk a long way away from the school and walk uphill. All right. So now we're having the tsunami drill, and I'm thinking it's going to be the same. So we walked away from the school. We went up that same hill. But then we kept going, and when I thought we were going to stop, we kept going. I thought we were going to walk straight up to the sky. I said, oh, no. I said, that will never do. I said, I'm exercising my faith right now. If the day ever comes that I need to be able to walk on water, I'm going to be able to walk on water. That is where my faith lies. The same things that Jesus did, I can do. The same things that Jesus did, you can do, and greater works still. These signs, Matthew chapter 16, verses 17. 17 and 18 tell us these things, um, but it says, and these signs shall follow those who believe. Those who believe, not who just know it with their minds, but who believe in their hearts. And so this is where I'm going to stop for today. I really wanted to talk about believing today, but we're going to talk about that next week. We'll pick up with believing with all that. Um, were you all blessed by that? Very. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Okay. Does anybody have anything that they would like to add or contribute? No. Could I read John chapter 14, verse 12 in the Amplified? Please, please do. I assure you, most solemnly, I tell you, if anyone steadfastly believes in me, he will himself be able to do the things that I do, and he will do even greater things than these because I go to the Father. Amen. 
Amen. Amen. Amen. More solemnly, I tell you. More solemnly. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's serious business. <laughs> that's very serious. I assure yes. you. Yes. And so this is something that we need to take heart in. And let me just tell, I'm going to put this little snippet in there about believing. To believe. Yeah. You got to get it down inside of you. Mm-hmm. And the way you get it down inside of you is you meditate it. Meditate is like when a cow chews cud, they're just chewing it over and over and over again. When you meditate the scriptures, you do the same things. You put your eyes on it so you can see it. You read it out loud so you can hear it. And at the same time, when you're reading it out loud, it's in your mouth. So you're, you're exercising, putting it in your mouth and speaking those words with power. And what happens is as you put your eyes on it and you're speaking it, it's going into your ears. It's going in your ears, down into your heart. It's going um, out of your mouth, down into your heart, out of your mouth, down into your heart. And what happens is that one day your heart is going to be so full with that word and it's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So when you fill your heart, to, oh, and I'm not talking about the blood pump in your body. I'm talking about your believer. But if thou shalt believe with thine heart, confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart, right? Um, so when you fill your heart to overflowing with that word, one day when you say that word, it's going to come out of your mouth and it's going to come out with power. It's no longer going out of your mouth, in your ears, down in your heart. Now it's coming out of your heart, out of your mouth, and it's affecting your situation. Glory to God. So that's just a little snippet about believing. We'll talk more about it next time. Thank you for reading that scripture, Ms. Lynette. Um, would anybody mm-hmm. like to pray? Anybody like to say anything else? Okay. Would anybody like to pray us out? I'll count to three and then I'll pray. One, two, three. Lord, thank you so much for the feast of your word. I thank you, Lord, for shining the light of your revelation on it. I thank you for taking us deeper, and I thank you for taking us down paths that we have not known. Even if these things are already familiar to us, Lord, you're taking us deeper, and you're taking us higher, and you're showing us how to appropriate it. Lord, you're showing us the inner workings of your word so that we can be very deliberate and how we use it, and very effective in using it in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for your awesome sacrifice, and we thank you for walking out the heavenly vision that God had for you. You walked it out to perfection, so now we can walk out the heavenly vision that God has for us, and we too can walk it out to perfection. We can see it to completion and fulfillment and maturation in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the authority that you have given us and for awakening us to this authority and showing us how to use it, um, showing us occasion to use it. Holy Spirit, continue to minister this word to us throughout the week in the name of Jesus and keep us, um, yes, just keep us, just keep us. We thank you. And um, wait a minute, there's more. I hear it. Okay, I have to do that. Are you guys going to be afraid? I have to pray in the spirit real fast. Just hold on. 
Thank you, Lord, for ordering our steps. Thank you, Lord, for directing our paths. Thank you, Lord, for bringing this word to our remembrance in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, I feel this word with the Holy Spirit. And I plead the blood of Jesus over my sisters and over everyone who would hear this message. For we know that the enemy is not happy about it, and he's going to come back and he's going to he's going to try to to, to steal it away. But I speak that this word has been received with understanding, and that it will not be choked out by the cares of this life. That it will not wither away because they. They, they don't continue to meditate on it. I speak that this word will take root deep down in them and that it will bring forth fruit 100, uh, yeah, 100-fold. Let's go with that. 30, 60, and 100-fold in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I speak blessing upon them. I speak increase upon them with the increase of God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Wow, what a feast. I hope you enjoyed that. I know I did. To God be the glory. If you want to learn more about our ministry, you can go to our website at www.godslovesongministries.com. Amen. Loving you with the love of the Lord. You be blessed.